Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 38. Jeremiah 38. God had promised Jeremiah at the beginning of his ministry that his enemies would not prevail against him. In Jeremiah 1.8, he says, Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And they never did prevail over him, though, uh, just like in a movie, the leading man or the leading woman might get into all kinds of trouble. And it appears that there's no hope of escape. But somehow, they do escape, right? So it was for Jeremiah. Uh, tonight, I'll be reading about one of those times when it all seemed as though Jeremiah was finished. And according to his enemies, he, they thought he was finished. Just like the villain in the movie when they set him up and they're in some kind of a chamber, you know, and his chamber's going to fill with some poisonous gas. You know, you, you've been, you know, all the different... The scenarios are all, they're all the same and they just have different elements to them. Same exact thing that happened to Jeremiah. Um, but how he escaped was quite amazing and who the man was that rescued him was also amazing. The title of this message tonight is An Unlikely Hero. He's called Ebed Melech. Uh, that's what he's called. That's either his name or his title. It actually literally means servant of the king. And so uh, that could have been a title, but God calls him Ebed-Melech, so we'll call him Ebed-Melech. This is a story of how God uses and blesses unlikely people to accomplish his will. And it was his will that Jeremiah wouldn't, uh, his enemies wouldn't prevail over him, and God did accomplish it in this way. And it's also a lesson to us to understand that even though God uh, promises things to us like that, it doesn't mean it's going to be pretty all the time. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Uh, they didn't prevail over him, but boy, there's a while when Jeremiah must have thought that they had. So I want to read, first of all, Jeremiah 38, verses 1 through 13. Now, Shephaniah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jucal, the son of Shelemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah had spoken to all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, He who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldeans shall live. His soul shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. Therefore the princes said to the king, Please, let this man be put to death. For thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city in the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. And then Zedekiah the king said, Look, he is in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech 
went out to the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded ebed melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So ebed melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from there old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. And Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Now, Jeremiah, as we read here, was faithful to his calling in the face of the most intimidating circumstances. Try to put yourself in his place here. Here these enemies were waiting to pounce upon him. He didn't vary his message. He didn't compromise his message. He didn't soften his message. He he said he, he, he was faithful to repeat the word of God. <clears throat> these princes and others in authority were powerful adversaries to Jeremiah. And we can only imagine the pressure to compromise that Jeremiah must have felt as a man. He must have felt them, but he stood firm. In verses 2 to 3, we see this, uh, what he said. He said, he who remains in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes over to the Chaldean shall live. His life shall be as a prize to him, and he shall live. Thus says the Lord, this city shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which shall take it. You see, he was clear about these things. But these wicked princes, rather than take warning, rather than fear the word of God, they defied the word of God from the prophet. And then in verse 4, we see their serious attempt to have Jeremiah executed. Verse 4, therefore the princes said to the king, please let this man be put to death, for thus he weakens the hands of the men of war who remain in this city in the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man does not seek the welfare of this people, but their harm. So they slandered him. They said he's a man who doesn't care about the people. They, uh, and they, uh, they desired that the king would just would execute him. Well, such is the justice and the wisdom of God that the very thing that they sought for Jeremiah would happen exactly to them. For the very and uh, uh, very soon they'd be executed. All these men would be executed by the by Nebuchadnezzar when he conquered the city. They were ignorant of God's ways, and else uh, also arrogant as to think that the laws of God didn't apply to them. Proverbs 26:27 Whoever digs a pit shall fall into it and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. And so they fell into their own pit and they made themselves examples of Proverbs 1:18 where it says but they lie in wait for their own blood they lurk secretly for their own lives and treacherous men this is exactly the word of God to treacherous men and women that want to hurt other people and they will be hurt by their own scheming. But in the meantime, they think, of course, that they're victorious. 
for the spineless King Zedekiah gave them leave to do whatever evil they wanted to do to Jeremiah. In verse 5, then Zedekiah the king said, look, he's in your hand, for the king can do nothing against you. What a spineless politician. He had the power to stop them, but he, uh, he, he was intimidated by them, even though he was a king. And again, just like in a movie, the villain doesn't kill the leading man outright. You ever wonder why they don't do that? You know he's the leading man or the leading woman, and and they could just pull the trigger and kill them, but oh, you know they're not going to do that because they got to escape somehow. So just like in a movie, really, uh, uh, they devised some extra barbaric way of killing the leading man. Well, that's what these people were doing here. They, they intended to kill Jeremiah, uh, but they wanted to do it in this really wicked way. And you can imagine how horrible the death that would have been in the pitch black of this uh, dungeon. And not just a dungeon, but sunk down evidently to his hips. We don't know how deep in the mire, but he sunk into the mire. He couldn't even move around. He, he was uh, paralyzed by the muck and uh, no water to drink. They weren't about to lower him any food. He was going to die, and he would die very quickly down there. These evil men uh, uh, wanted the most evil kind of death for Jeremiah. And so uh, and so that's, that's what they did. Uh, no doubt about it, they intended... And never to hear from Jeremiah ever again. But again, just like in a movie, Jeremiah had somebody to come to his aid. And right at the last minute, uh, in, in, in comes uh, Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian. Uh, verse 7, now Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they'd put Jeremiah in the dungeon. And, uh, and so Ebed-Melech enters the scene. He was a eunuch in the king's service. He's probably a trusted officer of the king. Still, it had to take an awful lot of courage to do what he did, confronting the king as he did. Just listen again to the confrontation. At the end of verse 7, he begins his confrontation. It says, when the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin. Now, let me just explain a little bit about this. The king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin. This is a very public setting um, uh, it was uh, he, the king's held court in the in the gate. You'll you'll uh, uh, you'll hear this terminology oftentimes in the Old Testament scripture where it talks sitting in the gate. Uh, sitting in the gate meant sitting in the place of power and the place of authority, uh, and that's where they held court. That's where people would come to them with their petitions and things of that nature. And so it was a very public thing, and you can be sure that some of uh, Jeremiah's enemies that had done this very same thing were probably sitting right there with the king in the court when he did this. So you have to picture, understand that when Ebed-Melech very publicly rebukes them in front of the king. He says, my, in verse, uh, uh, verse 8, says, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. He's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Uh, like I said, this, this is a very public setting. Ebed-Melech uh, could have waited uh, until he could have a private hearing with the king, but he didn't wait until he could do that. And he said, these men have done evil. He rebuked them publicly. And in doing this, he was setting himself up against the real political powers of Jerusalem at that time, and even these powers that even the king was afraid of and was intimidated by, but he stood against them, whereas the king 
just think of this, this little uh, king who had no courage at all. And here, one of his servants in his household uh, who didn't have the power of the king at all, and yet he, he came and he was the one with the courage. How easy would it have been for Ebed-Melech to keep silent at this time? Standing up for Jeremiah was a very unpopular thing to do, and it was dangerous as well. But he boldly did what was right. And, you know, I mentioned in my email, you know, we admire Daniel. And we have a song in our hymn book, Dare to Be a Daniel. Uh, well, how about Dare to Be an Ebed Melech? He's a very courageous man himself. But here's a lesson for all of us. He was not a powerful man. In fact, his name means literally servant of the king. And he was probably a trusted officer of the king. We don't know anything more about him than uh, what we read here in chapter 39 and in chapter 39 that we'll read in just a moment. But what other good things did he do in his life? We don't know. We don't know what other good things he did in his life. Surely there were some. But uh, uh, there are some people, I mentioned this to someone uh, not too long ago that was discouraged but because he didn't feel like he had anything to offer and he wasn't really in a position to really do much for people. And um, I said, you know, some people might have one moment or one hour or one day in their entire lifetime that justifies their entire existence, that, that makes everything, uh, makes their whole life worth living. We think of heroes going around doing heroic things all day long, you know, because that's what we see on the movies. You know, they're just going from one heroic thing to another. And that's not the way it really works. Um, uh, that's not how it works for a hero. Uh, most of them, uh, for, for most days, it's just one thing in their life that defines them as this great hero. i give you a couple examples. Audie Murphy, who's the most decorated soldier in World War II, uh, he's known for the events of one single day, and he was a hero for the rest of his life. How about Sergeant York in World War I? Same thing. He's very notable for one day in his entire life. Did they do other good things? Sure they did. But what made them famous and what made them heroes was one thing that they did. And most of the rest of their lives, especially up until that day, were just normal days, maybe even many boring days, or at least days of no notability at all. You might be thinking, what good am I for the kingdom of Christ? I'm a nobody uh, I don't see how I'm useful for anything. Well, think about this. Your moment, this is what I told my brother the other day, uh, your moment of greatest usefulness for God might not have come yet. But the question is this. Are you the one that God can tap on the shoulder and give you an assignment and you'll be ready to do this dangerous or scary thing or whatever it is, this seemingly impossible task? And you're going to do it because you're committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's just one thing, but it might be something very significant. Maybe Ebed Melech. We don't. We never hear the word of the, the name of Ebed Melech anywhere else in the Bible. If it wasn't for this story, he'd be uh, his memory would be lost in the sands of antiquity. Ebed Melech's assignment didn't seem very probable. Actual. Actually, how could he know that he's be able to reverse the decree of the king? 
I mean, why would he think that he could do this when the king had been intimidated into doing this by the very enemies that Ebed-Melech was challenging at this time? He couldn't know that the king would reverse his ruling when he was confronted. But he went there anyway, and he did what he could, and God made his mission successful. God turned the heart of the king. Ebed-Melech couldn't have known that when he stepped out of doors that day to go confront the king in the gate. The king did reverse his ruling and he gave Ebed-Melech permission and the resources need, needed to rescue Jeremiah in verse 10 where it says, And the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian saying, Take from here 30 men with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. Um, so we see that he, uh, that he gave him the resources. Now, you might ask why 30 men. I realize it would have taken several men at least to pull him out of the muck, but I'm sure it didn't take 30. Well, surely uh, it didn't take that many to pull him out of the muck, but most uh, most or all of them were probably soldiers. Uh, It was a military presence that was needed for Ebed-Melech to be able to carry out this rescue mission. Uh, If he'd been alone or he'd been been, only had a few uh, unarmed servants, uh, with him, it's probable that he would never have been allowed to rescue Jeremiah in spite of the king's commandment, but he had an armed contingency of soldiers with him uh, so they couldn't challenge him. But even Melech was not only courageous, he was also gentle. We, we see this thoughtfulness of Jeremiah and how he put, had him put the padding underneath his armpits. He went, and I like the King James version of it, he went and he got these old cast clouts it calls them in the, in the King James, old cast clouts. That means just old, old rags that they were laying around for, to throw down to Jeremiah to put under his armpits. And the, you, know, you can imagine pulling him out of there. The suction then in the muck would have made the rescue uh, not only difficult, but very dangerous for Jeremiah as, 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 as well. I mean, the ropes could have cut into his arms and caused him injury. But Ebed-Melech was a thoughtful man. And he thought about this before he came, before he even appeared there. He went first. The first place he went was to the place where he could get these old cast clouts, these old rags to uh, minister to Jeremiah. Well, what a happy ending. Uh, But there's more. And I think the more uh, that we have in chapter 39 is the most remarkable, encouraging, and the most encouraging part of the entire story because in chapter 39... We have a special prophecy that God gives just for Ebed-Melech. In verse 15 of chapter 39, Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon this city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Um, Now, we need to understand the way Jeremiah is written. It is not written concurrently or sequentially. And so... 
That's why it says at the beginning of our passage we read, it says meanwhile. What's the meanwhile for? The meanwhile means this prophecy didn't come after the king of Babylon conquered Jerusalem because if you read the first part of 39, you'll find the conquest of uh, of Jerusalem and the city falling and uh, 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 Jeremiah's and Ibn Melech's uh, enemies were uh, put to death and, and all of that. But um, but so so this actually the word of the Lord came to him while he was still shut while Jeremiah was still shut up in the prison. This prophecy was given to Jeremiah for Ebed Melech, and I think it's important to understand that when he talks about of these men of whom you are afraid, you have two sorts. It would have been his his political enemies, these men that had him put in the dungeon in the first place. They were still his enemies and wanted to kill him. But also he was a remember he was an officer in the king's. Uh, uh, household in the king's palace and so uh, the first thing uh, a conquering king was going to do is going to destroy all of the officers in the palace and you can be sure that all of his fellow officers were executed by Nebuchadnezzar along with all the princes and the nobles and so he was either very afraid of the Babylonians that were going to kill him because he knew obviously he's a prominent He's a, he's a prominent man in one sense and that he's a, a servant of the king. But then also he's got these other enemies as well. So even Malik was a man with enemies. Listen, uh, if you're going to stand up and do something for God, you're going to have enemies. And you need to face that. And we need to not be intimidated by them. Uh, uh, I've had many enemies in my day and vicious enemies that have said wicked things about me and you know about some of those things. But uh, uh, you're going to have enemies if you're going to do the work of God. And uh, But God will deliver you from them. And even Malik and Jeremiah had these enemies. But God sent this special prophecy to them. You know what we see here is, is that God did not use even Malik and then cast him aside when he was through with him. You know, far be it from God to do that kind of thing. Uh, here's the remarkable part of it. God could have made sure that Ebed Melech was protected when Jerusalem fell. God could have providentially made sure that he was hidden or that somehow they didn't get to him. Uh, he could have done so without a special prophecy. Yet God gave Jeremiah a special prophecy designed specifically for his comfort, for the comfort of Ebed Melech. Uh, Ebed Melech probably knew uh, all these things, that the conquest of the city would surely bring death to everybody in the palace. And he was he was certainly concerned about that and probably very anxious. I can't imagine not being anxious if I'd have been him. I, I can't, can't even imagine what he was facing. It was horrific. Um, but God uh, put his servant's heart at ease by assuring him that he would see to it that he was spared. And I think that's precious. God took Jeremiah and said, now I have a special prophecy to you. Uh, he, gives him, uh, he gives him the reason, too. He says, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. This is why I'm doing this for you, Ebed Melech. You put your trust in me. He had to put a lot of trust in God to do the courageous thing he did. And that's where courage comes from, you know. It doesn't come from our natural constitution. Sure, Peter sure learned that, didn't he? Courage doesn't come from within us. It comes from putting our trust in God, really trusting him. And when we really trust in God, that's when we're ready to do the things 
that other men and other women would say these things are impossible. Just like Daniel, when he had to face the lion's den, he could have easily closed his windows when he prayed, remember? And his enemies came upon him and, and they arrested him and had him thrown into the lions. He could have he could have hidden his prayers. Doesn't Jesus even call about talk about praying in our closet in secret? But Daniel knew exactly what needed to be done. He defied the uh, his enemies by openly praying to God, and that was an occasion when it, that needed to be done. And so when the occasion arose, uh, Ebed Melech was ready. God could tap him on the shoulder and say, I've got a job for you, Ebed-Melech. I made a promise to Jeremiah. And now here he is in this dungeon. I need for you to go and confront the king and to and to get the king to reverse his command. Ebed-Melech was ready to do the word of God and the will of God. And here is also comfort for all of us to put our trust in the Lord. In the midst of this great national tragedy, Great and mighty forces were at work. Armies, uh, they're warring. Pharaoh had just come up uh, earlier, a few months earlier, a year or so earlier, to try to rescue the the, uh, uh, the Zedekiah because they'd made an unholy alliance. And Pharaoh himself was defeated by the Babylonians. So you have great nations fighting against one another. You have kings and princes that are falling And to Jeremiah, God's principal prophet to the nation, he's employed with giving out major prophecies for the nation. But now he's given a special prophecy just for one man, just for one person, Ebed-Melech. And not because it was all that necessary, but because God wanted to comfort his servant. God, who is the God of nations. And he's always active in the affairs of armies and kings and great leaders. And he has time and concern also for one individual servant of his who's put his trust in him. And that goes for you as well. And it's a wonder to me that God, who is so great, and he has so many souls to keep track of, how many billions are on the face of this earth, He has time for me. He's got time for me. He's got time for you. You can pray to him and he will hear you. You might be a little child here today. You know that God has time for you? He does. And I think that's one of the most wonderful things. You know, I've witnessed God answering prayers for the smallest of matters, for adults and for children. And I've witnessed these things in my lifetime. How gracious and how precious is the love of God for us. And what a pleasure and an honor it is to serve such a God as this. We ought to be encouraged by this prophecy to Ebed-Melech. You know, the devil will tempt us to do his bidding, and then he'll laugh at us in our calamity when we reap what we've sown. He does use a person and then he cast him away when he's through with him. Now you see how he rewarded Judas for his service. He drove him to suicide. And men are not far behind the devil in this matter. Returning evil for good done to them. But God, blessed God, will not forget even a cup of cold water that's given in his name. Oh, let us do good like Ebed-Melech 
and not fear the faces of men and not shrink back from our duty no matter what the fears are that attend that duty. But above all, let us put our trust in God at all times. God will take care of you too. And uh, uh, he will show himself strong on your behalf like he did for Ebed-Melech. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this story. We uh, uh, thank you for your kind, gracious ministry, how you ministered to your servant who was anxious and probably fretting, I suppose, over what his fate would be. But you sent this prophecy by the hand of Jeremiah to comfort him in his distress. Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the example that gives us as well, that we have hope as well. We have the same gracious God, the same benevolent, wonderful God who watches over us and cares for us, not only for our well-being, but also for our anxieties. We pray this.